I still am nervous about telling my mum that I've, I've <laughs> exposed that I kissed a ginger boy in the book, mum. Like, I wrote it and I was like, this is funny, this is just coming of age, everyone will relate to this. And then I thought, oh no, Asian aunties are going to read this and go, oh, she was naughty girl. She was a naughty girl. This week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll in East London with radio and TV presenter Anita Rani and her adorable Bedlington Whippet Raffi. And it was so reassuring to meet someone who obsesses over their dog as much as I do. I've never felt so seen. It was a really beautiful sunny day when we met and that kind of set the tone for our walk because Anita's an incredibly sunny natured person. She talked to me about so much, her Punjabi family life growing up in Bradford, her natural performing instinct, which led to her hugely successful TV and radio career on everything from Country File to Woman's Hour and Strictly, and her husband, Boopy, who she loves almost as much as her dog, Raffi. Anita recently published a best-selling memoir, The Right Sort of Girl, which is so honest and funny and just brilliantly written. And she manages to paint such a vivid picture, not only of herself, but also of her cultural background and the influence that's had on her life. So I really urge you to read it. As you may have guessed by now, I loved my walk with Anita. And I think Ray took quite a shine to Raffi. So if Raffi's happy to overlook the height difference and the snoring and the morning breath, oh, and the one missing tooth, then let's talk. I really hope you enjoy our walk. I'll shut up now and hand over to the woman herself. Here's Anita and Raffi and Ray. Hello, you are so cute. You are just so cute. Look, there's Raffi, and they're getting on well. That's good. No barking. She started growling at other dogs when she has a treat on her, so that's not good. Yeah. She seems very mild yeah, natured. She is. She is. She is. She's very. She's just. I don't know. She, I, personality's changed. She's only 11 months. No, she's still only with Dinky, so she's only just had her first season. Hello, baby. Yes. Yes. We're going for a walk. Oh, you don't, you want that? You want that? You can't have that. I brought treats. Oh, yes. Raffi, do you know, that's the first direct eye contact you've given me. And I find it quite significant that it was when I worst said the word treat, Nita. <laughs> sit, sit, sit. Please don't embarrass me. <laughs> sit, Raffi, sit, good girl. Sit, sit. Go on, you can do it. Good girl, good girl. There we go. Come on, we're going to go to the park with Raffi. Would you like that? Yeah. Have you been for a wander around here before? <laughs> it's like a frog. It's amazing. Wow, Raymond, Raymond, you're beautiful. When Look I had this, Ed Miliband on this podcast, Nita, he said Raymond looked like a toupee. Who said that? Ed Miliband. <laughs> <laughs> How, did you stick? Did you put Raymond on his head for that? <laughs> oh, what's that? Did, oh. What's that all about? What's that? Why are you barking? Raffi! Come on. I mean, I don't actually know how well trained my dog is. We've been making it up. She's our first ever pet. We've Neither of us have ever had a pet before. We've never had a pet and uh, she's our experiment, so... <laughs> and you can be the judge. No one professional has ever checked her over, so we'll see what, what state she's in. She doesn't get back on the lead. That is going to be an issue. Right, we're going to cross over now, Ray and Raffi. Ray's so well behaved. Well, I mean, the walk hasn't begun yet. Yeah, it hasn't begun. Wait for the green man, Ray. <laughs> do, you, do you do that? I talk to my dog like he will understand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, full, full blown conversations. Also, she's bilingual, so there'll be a bit of Punjabi. Julia? Chill. Aja. Aja, Rafi. There you go. Good girl. Oh, she's being ever so sweet with Ray, Anita. Oh, God, this song gives me the creeps. <laughs> it was my final... It was the salsa I did on Strictly, and it was... A... <laughs> it was the salsa. It was the dance I got kicked out on, and every time I hear it, I have a reflex. <laughs> oh, what an adorable baby. Thanks, I'm going to be asleep. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so little... Right, welcome to Deepest Darkest Hackney. 
I love that that song is triggering for you. I mean, I don't love it, but I find... I mean... Did she call a caterpillar? He is like a caterpillar. He is, Nice to see you. Raymond, caterpillar. Come on, Ruffy. I've never had caterpillar, Anisha. <laughs> what do you think of that? How does Raymond feel about it? What do I people mean, say about Ruffy when they... Well, they, she gets told she's very beautiful, very leggy. She's very fast. Oh, thanks for rubbing that in, Anisha. So my dog gets called a caterpillar and you say, well, Raffi actually gets told she's very Thank leggy you. and beautiful. I'm very fast. She's not had caterpillar. Although, no, I have to say, my dad does say she looks like a meerkat. My dad's like, my dad calls her a bit rat-like, but my, dad, my dad's very northern. She looks like a rat when she's wet. And then he said to me the other day, you've not trained her very well, have you? So, you know, she's a... She's a feral rat. Raffi's doing the first defecation of the walk. It's the second of my, like, this morning. I, we should say Anita's talking about the dog there. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I, I might need to go as well. <laughs> While Anita's bending over there, there we go, sorting out the bathroom duties, I'm going to introduce her. I'm so excited to have this woman on my podcast. Um... I'm a huge fan of hers and have been for some time. I'm with the very wonderful Anita Rani. And we're in... Do you want to talk about our location? Well, I've dragged Emily to deepest, darkest Hackney. Um, come on, Raffi. She always smells something. And uh, um, We are heading towards Hackney Marshes. We're in the... I guess this is Lower Clapton. Um, and um, people often think of Hackney as being this really urban environment, which it is, it's East London, but it also has this magical spot where there's lots of green fields, a beautiful canal. We call it the Hackney Riviera. <laughs> people go swimming. I wouldn't. Um, yeah, so we're just going to, I'm going to take you for a lovely walk. And Anisha, will you talk us through, introduce us to your dog? So this is my darling Love of my life, Bedlington Whippet, Rafi. Named after Mohammed Rafi, who's an Indian singer. Man. She's a woman, but she doesn't mind. Um, she's 11 months old, and she's just the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've never had a dog in my life. Never had a pet, was never allowed. Oh, wee wee. Good girl. <laughs> she's a Bedlington. Bedlington crossed with a Whippet. Uh, so I guess she's a lurcher. We're working dogs on farms. Um, but we looked into the type of breed we wanted, what would suit a London lifestyle. Yeah. My husband can take her to work, so that's all right. She doesn't have to be left alone ever. Um, she likes a good old run, big long walk, and then she'll just cuddle up, bit of a lap dog. Perfect. Come on. She, she's absolutely adorable. And what I liked is she turned up today with... Well, she chose to wear a red bandana round her neck as if to... <laughs> As if she was on a blind date with Ray and wanted to ensure that he could spot her. Should have told Ray to wear something too. Ray's impressed. She gets a lot of attention, my dog. She's definitely getting attention at the moment because she's just had her first season. And tell me about dogs in your childhood. Well, both my parents grew up with them. Mum grew up in India. They always had dogs because they just had space and... Uh, so they, she grew up with them, and she, she reckoned she had a pet monkey as well, <laughs> called Chimpy. And there is definitely a picture of some kind of small furry animal in a photograph somewhere, but it doesn't... I can't really identify it as a monkey. <laughs> but anyway, that's what Mum reckons. And my dad always had dogs, and my dad's brilliant with dogs, but we just were never allowed one because they were so busy running a factory and bringing me and my brother up that a dog would have just been an extra that nobody would have been able to look after, so we didn't. And now, we've got one, and even when we were thinking of getting one, I said to my mum and dad, we're gonna get a dog. And they're like, why are you getting a dog? You don't need a dog in your life. And I said, well, Buppy wants a dog, that's my husband. But of course, the son-in-law can do what he wants. So my mum was like, <laughs> oh, if Buppy wants a dog, then get a dog. Whatever makes him happy. <laughs> so we got one. And they love her, and they love her. And now my dad will phone and say, 
Uh, you're bringing Raffi round. <laughs> you're bringing Raffi round. <laughs> yeah, she, they absolutely are smitten. Um, because there's just amazing energy, aren't they? I think the thing with dogs is that I understand why people would be wary of getting one. Because on paper, it's a completely impractical, illogical thing to do. Because all they do is sort of require you to do stuff. They don't contribute income. They Bless don't grow you. up to be adults yep. and pay for your care. <laughs> so, but you know what? I think sometimes illogical things bring you the most happiness. <laughs> and a sneeze is contagious. Both dogs are sneezing. What's going on? Um, no, you're absolutely right. So when we got her, someone said to us, like, you'll put all the effort in now and then you'll just get this loyalty and love forevermore. And, that, and she is, I just can't explain it. I never thought I could love anything as much as I love this dog. She doesn't even talk. Maybe that's why I love her. Maybe that's why. I mean, the bitch is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Absolutely. As you know, she's therapeutic and they're just so... And their intuition, their sense yeah. of smell, like so their heightened senses. I'm just... Yeah. I want to go back to... Um, talk Good a bit day. more about your childhood and the beginning of Anita because I've just read your book which is honestly brilliant Anita it's called The Right Sort of Girl it just told me so much not just about you but the culture you grew up in and it was really thought-provoking in on, in, on so many levels and I felt I got this really vivid incredible picture of your family life I feel like I know your parents now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot about them in there. They've not even read it yet. I was a bit nervous coming here to talk about it, but yeah, you've relaxed me by telling me you like it. That's always a good start. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like when you're asked to write a childhood memoir, I think the proposal was something a little bit different to what it turned out to be. Like, how much do you put in there? How much do you keep back? And what I, I realised at the very beginning is if I'm going to write this, it has to be truthful and it has to be authentic and I can't shy away from the stuff that is difficult to talk about because that's the stuff that's probably the most important and you know I don't know how many other memoirs there are of sort of South Asian girls in Britain growing up you know in different worlds and I certainly follow lots of young women on social media and all the rest of it and it I don't know it felt like I felt like I needed to tell them that there are other people like you who grew up and it was quite tough. And you know this, don't you, Emily? You know, you have to, you have to give something of yourself away. You have to explain it's happened to you. Particularly, you know, if people are watching me on a Sunday night in Country File and now, you know, in, on the woman's hour on a Friday, felt like they shouldn't, it's like I have a story to tell that is a little bit complicated, but very British and that we should, um, Maybe, maybe people will be interested in hearing it. Tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up in your household. Yeah, so it was me and my mum and dad and my brother. And they're very energetic, my parents, as you get a sense of in the book. But they set up a manufacturing business when we were really young um, and did quite well for themselves. Put me and my brother into private education. I mean, all we knew was the factory. We'd go from school, well, to the factory, we were always in the factory because it was just the two of them that built it up from scratch. And this is in Bradford? In Bradford, yeah, in gorgeous Bradford, in West Yorkshire. I do just, <laughs> I'm doing the Bradford Literature Festival. I'm like, I'm not sure if they read the bit where I called Bradford a shit on. <laughs> I might get hounded out, but I do, I do express a great amount of love for it as well. Very much. And Yorkshire. your parents. I call them Bill and Lucky. Yes, I love that you know the names. <laughs> because that was their, their sort of anglicised names, really. Yeah, yeah. So dad's, their full names are Balvinder and Lakbir. Um, but dad's, yeah, most Punjabis, all Punjabis have nicknames. Like, we're just known for our nicknames. Even before we moved to Britain, like, you know, the migration happened. Everyone will just have a pet name. Like, if somebody's particularly fair-skinned, they might be called Pinky. <laughs> and your nickname is Neetu? Neetu, yeah. I was going to greet you and as Neetu and oh. then I thought, I'll buy the girl a coffee first. Oh, yeah, I know, I love drink. that, I love that. Right, we're my really closest friends who so you know, have known me for a long time will often call me Neetu. Um, 
Yeah, I was named after a Bollywood actress. My mum's like <laughs> Bollywood obsessed. And she was like, that's so bad. The really, her name was Nithu Singh. She had big brown eyes. And my mum said when I was born, she just saw my big brown eyes. I'm like, right, great mum. So just name me after an actress. I mean, I love it. Uh, but yeah, but the name I was given then, and it's on my birth certificate, is Anita. Which has meant that my life and my experience has been different to a lot of others because I've got such an easy name. So my parents, like a lot of them in this country, they just have their anglicised names that made it easier for everybody else. Look at these pretty um, little... Look at the swans. Mm. Look at them. Cygnets. Yeah. So we're walking along the canal. So lovely, isn't it? two swans. Swans need a a better PR, I feel. Yeah. All I ever hear about them is that they're aggressive and that you go to prison if you <laughs> kill one or something. Yeah. Hello, swans. Hello, swans. How's this going to go, Anita? What's Rafi like with swans? Uh, I don't know. She, she's not actually been in water yet because we've been in lockdown pretty much. Look, she wants, she's desperate to get in. She wants to go and say hello, but... I'll put you down, Ray. See what you make of the swans. She wants to look at her. She was desperate to go in and fight them. Come on, Ray. So my dad's um, name was Bill. <clears throat> But that's easy because his family name, his pet name was Billa, so everyone just called him Bill. And Lucky is my mum's nickname anyway, even in Punjabi, everyone calls her Lucky. But they had friends, like Indian friends, with names like James and Paul <laughs> and Richard. They've got a mate, they had a mate called Richard. <laughs> and the house was, you were living initially with your grandparents. Dad's parents, right? So that's really not very common. So the sort of Indian way, traditional way of doing things is that it's, it's called a joint marriage system, a joint family system, sorry, um, where the son of the house won't move out. The daughter, once they, they'll get married and the daughter-in-law will move into the home, the family home. And then in theory, uh, everyone lives happily ever after because they, you go to work and the grandparents are at home to look after the grandchildren and... The money comes into the same household and then you buy bigger houses. And we know, I know plenty of families who still live like that. Less and less so. Yeah. But uh, it didn't really work with my family because my dad's family are supremely dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> like, amazingly. Like, they're really good. They're, they excel in dysfunction. Bad at conflict resolution. Yes. And lots of conflict. Like, my granddad is... For, he came over in 1954... You know, we're the Irish of India, Punjabis. You know, we're a working class, agrarian, farming community. And we have a ton of baggage that comes with that. So, very patriarchal. I mean, women work properly hard, but like, you know, working class, farming women. Just there to keep the families together. Mm. But my granddad was quite an angry man. Don't think he particularly paid much attention to what his children's needs were. I don't think they had much time to do that. My grandma was just like keeping the six kids together. My dad's the eldest of six. Yeah. And so uh, at 19, so my dad came over here when he was four. At 19, my grandparents decided to marry him to my mum, have an arranged marriage. There you go, Rafi. And so my mum came over from India and on the first day of their wedding, she's in the attic, she's come home, and there's a big old bust up downstairs, and my granddad's having a big old Barney. And she, this is it, welcome to your new life, welcome to, welcome to Bradford. Um, so they left, my, my dad just said, I'm, I'm out of here, I think my mum was the perfect excuse. I yeah. think he always wanted out, and now he's got this wife from India, a little baby me, and they left. Which was quite a big controversy, big yeah. hoo-ha, very similar to... Um, which is why, you know, when the whole Meghan Markle thing happened, I was like, it's just Bollywood. It's just every Asian, <laughs> every Asian family. Um, so the Windsors in some ways operate on a similar model, would you say? Cult, absolutely identical. They are the archetypal South Asian family in many ways. <laughs> Matriarch at the top. Sons who are treated like little princes, get away with anything. The daughter who's had to really fight for everything. And then daughter-in-laws kind of have to fit with the family mould and the family culture. And uh, yeah, so yes, I would say very similar. So when you were growing up with your parents, it was you and your brother. Yeah, Kuldeep, yes. I like the sound of Kuldeep. Yeah, he's a dude, isn't he? 
And you were very close, weren't you? Yeah, there's only two and a half years between us. Um, yeah, two years, two months. Yeah, he's brilliant. Very kind, very gentle. Had me as the big, boisterous older sister to do all the talking. Very creative. Um, yeah, and it was just the two of us. And our childhood was so unique in that we were, you know, at these private schools. And then we'd finish school and come home to the factory and have to do, you know, kind of just work with mum and dad until they'd finish the day. And, and it, was just the, it was just the two of us, really, who fit that mot. There was no one else like us, if you know what I mean, not in Bradford. Um, so we were like in between worlds because our school was really white and very middle class. And our home life was very Indian, but then we had this added factory twist. Looking back at your childhood now, how would you think of yourself as a as a little girl really? What sort of little what sort of child do you think you were? Oh god. I don't know. I like looking back like now, like having written the book. Um let's go this way. I feel like, oh. you know, having a dog, like I'm talking to you about my upbringing <laughs> and how my mum and dad sent us to those schools to kind of get us to fit into sort of middle class British society. But I feel like getting a dog I was like, I'm right in there. That's all you needed to do. <laughs> Should have just got a dog. They did. You could have saved all that money on that bloody education. Just got us a dog from they the off. Just got a labradoodle. If they'd have been, ex- if they'd have existed then, they would have. <laughs> so they were very. They had real work ethic. Your yeah. parents, didn't they? Yeah. And very entrepreneurial. And, and I get the sense that you were incredibly dutiful. Yes, but at the same time, really didn't like. I was rebellious. And wanted to be more rebellious, but I also was very aware of everything that was going on around me. And very, um, I guess, heightened alertness of the adults around me. I guess like an el- the eldest child, I think, is often like that. Do you want some water, Rafi? I feel like I had to grow up very quickly, very fast. I'm sure my, my dad did as well as the eldest child. And I think I just adapted to what was required of me and was always very aware of how I should behave, mm. um, and uh, I, I think I don't know. I don't became I became an adult very quickly, but at the same time, I was just really aware that I wanted to get out and live my own yeah. life as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. I just I don't know. I just had this okay. I just got to get through the first eighteen years, and then then I'm all good. <laughs> then I'm on. Then I can just do what I want. I think I probably clocked that. Right. What's the agenda? Okay. I get to university, and then I'm what on my own. Okay. Right. Let's get there. <laughs> That's where I want to be. <laughs> Head down, keep going, 18. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite, I found being a teenager really tough. I found growing up really tough. My mm. family wasn't uh, easy. I think anyone from a working class background, um, uh, you know, it's it just complicated. You know, being in a migrant, being in a family that isn't, you know, from the country that you're in. Yeah. People are, everyone's finding it difficult. My granddad found it difficult. I'm sure my parents found it difficult in their own way. They had an arranged marriage. <laughs> they met at Heathrow Airport, Emily. That was their first meeting. So mad. Did you grow up thinking that was going to be expected of you? It was like... That kind of relationship? It was marriage. Indians are just obsessed with marriage. And it was just... I know every culture is. I know everyone's obsessed with kind of relationships. Yeah. But marriage, and particularly with daughters, it was like, you, this is the ultimate. Doesn't, it doesn't yeah. matter how successful you are or how many degrees you've got. No one really cares. It's just like, when are you getting married? <laughs> and I've, I've had this conversation with my mum now that I've written the book. I'm like, you just, that's all you were bothered about because it's a reflection on them. You know, <laughs> the daughter is still single. I mean, I got to 30 and that was it, you know. Everyone was in panic mode. <laughs> She's hit 30. <laughs> She's not had kids. Well, anyway. Did you... Um, it's so liberating talking about this, I must say. You know, I'm very nervous about the book, but this is really liberating. Was there pressure on you to sort of excel academically? I mean, I went to a really academic school and, like, my friends were... Everybody was quite bright and it was a great school and I'm a real advocate for single-sex education for girls uh, because... It was just cool to be clever in my school, and it was nice. It was good to learn, um, and 
there is a there is uh, it's very okay it's, it's getting, getting a bit hot so you know yeah what? should we go should find, find shade, shade yeah i think do, right i think raffi's the same they're getting a bit hot suddenly turned a bit hotter way. we'll go here we'll go in a shady bit yeah. way, way. presumably you were doing a lot of the sort of teenage experimentation stuff in secret yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all in secret all Asian kids have their lives in secret. <laughs> so, you know, I'm really, it is, it does feel good to talk about it, right? Mm. The funny thing is, like, I've talked about a few boyfriends and my first kiss. And that's why, and like, I still am nervous about telling my mum that I've, I've exposed <laughs> that I kissed a ginger boy in the book, mum. And I think that it's going to be, like, I wrote it and I was like, this is funny. This is just coming of age. Everyone will relate to this. And then I thought, oh, no. Asian aunties are going to read this and go, oh, she was naughty girl. She was a naughty girl. Because in their minds, their daughters are not kissing anybody until they get married. You see, I think I was brought up in entirely the wrong culture because I am essentially <laughs> an Asian auntie. <laughs> the, uh, the Illuminati aunties Illum yeah, Illuminati. is your brilliant name for them, which is, what's, to tell me a bit, because I'm fascinated about the culture, the sort of auntie culture that yeah. you grew up with. Auntie culture, they're aunties are kind of, what do I say in the book? MI5, KGB, <laughs> the CIA and the Illuminati. They just know everything about everyone. So, we, you know, you live in these communities. Everyone, these aunties kind of sit around. They know everybody's business. They're not really your blood relatives. They're just women who get together. <laughs> and, you know, they might be at the temple. And they're constantly trying to fake, hook people up. They're constantly think, asking, when is your, how old is your daughter? What has she studied? <laughs> what kind of boy are you looking for? I'm like, oh, I'm only 16 years old. <laughs> um... Yeah, so they were sort of the bane of my life. And also they, it's like there's a weight of expectation that you have to behave a certain way, otherwise that everyone will know, you know, the community, this like looming fear of what yeah. will people say. Um, and I've kind of, you know, I'm, yeah, the Illuminati did my head in and I've kind of made jokes about them. But at the same time, you know, I sort of talk a lot about how much I love the women aunties as well. <laughs> Hard-working aunties, <laughs> but yes. I mean, I think the Illuminati should go into business. I think now, like friends of mine have said, like, come on, this is amazing. Like, you've got a system set up where they look for a partner for you based on your family, based on your education, based on everything. This is brilliant. But it's interesting you say about that, about should go into business, because I've often, I couldn't help wonder if those women, some of them perhaps, are just essentially driven entrepreneurial women themselves in some ways and actually that was a, possibly an outlet for them because they weren't running businesses. Yes. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, they could have been doing so much more. Yeah, they could have been, they were CEOs of yeah. matchmaking. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you're probably right. Now we could wander down. Where should we go? Oh, oh look, he's chasing that jogger. <laughs> See, and Anita, were you always... You strike me already as very warm and um, sort of extrovert and engaging and that you get your energy source from people. Were you always yeah. like that as a child? I think so. I'm like my mum. She's like the same. Very uh, friendly, very open, just very open and real. Like my mum will just, oh, she told me, I went to see her yesterday and she said, we've got new neighbours moving in. And the builders were, no, the, uh, the removals men were, were, were there all day, all day Anita, and they hadn't eaten anything. So I said to them, you wait there. And I cooked them a curry and, I, and that's mum. Like the, the neighbours removal men got fed by my mum. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's just, a, my, and they're both like that. So yeah, I, I do, I guess I vibe off, I vibe off people men. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have that sense of wanting to perform from a really young age? Probably, I think so. I definitely, I loved, I loved drama, I loved theatre, I loved, um, yeah, I, I loved, and plays, plays, just storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and, I pro and I wanted to study drama at uni, but that, no, my Indian dad wasn't going to let that happen. And it didn't make sense to them. It didn't make sense that I'd go, why would I go and study drama? Like, what would I do with that? But then I got a job at my ra local radio station really young. It was at an Asian radio station that had opened up. 
and um, and that just felt, felt really oh look <laughs> she's given up come on Rafi come on Dolly come on good girl come on guys come on good girl I know I know and then we'll go home and you'll get some lunch did you feel pretty as a teenager not at all not at all and that's okay and I'm not saying that for everyone to go it's like no 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 I guess there was no, when there's no representation of what you look like yeah. anywhere, like not in magazines, not on the telly, unless of course it was like wife-beating storyline on the bill or whatever. <laughs> I know, it's grim. It's grim, but it's true, kids. <laughs> and then also, I said this to a friend of mine ages ago. He's like, yeah, no one, no one fancied the Asian kids growing up when we were growing up. Or if they did, it was secret. So you just didn't, and um, very quickly recognised that it was my mates that, you know, that's their thing, and when everybody was kind of discovering their sexuality, I was like, don't want to deal with that, I'll just uh, wear baggy trousers and um, keep everything hidden. But that's also because, you know, it would have just been too, far too complicated to have a secret relationship within yeah. an Indian household. But it doesn't mean I didn't fancy, you know, we were all kind of had our crushes and whatnot but yeah didn't didn't feel pretty but that was okay developed other skills and there's a there's a bit you talk about in the book which i i think is really brave and very moving which is just about self-harming essentially and i really respected you for being open about that that wasn't the in the original proposal for the book it wasn't the plan to put that in there but then when i started writing about being a teenager, it's like, I, it, it would just be so false to sort of go, well, and it was all great. And actually it was very complicated. I found it really difficult. And, I, and I've not really talked about it to anybody. I just wrote about it in the book and then read it to my husband, bawling my eyes out. And he just said, look, it's really important that you put it in there because to hear it from you, someone mm. who seemingly has done, you know, got it together, is just, will make it much easier for other people to go, right, okay, you've allowed us to be able to talk about something. And actually, I'm, I thought I'd be a lot more worried about that. I'm not, I'm not at all, you know, it's, it happened. I, I went through a small phase of self-harming as a teenager. Uh, I don't really know what to think about it now. I was just, mm. very, I was just in a lot of pain. Mm. A lot of teen, being a teenager is so complicated and horrible, and and when you feel really alone, you know, I, it's not like I, I don't know. I just, I felt very confused, and that was my little outlet. I'm not proud of it. I mean, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not ashamed of it either. Oh, do you know that's a big theme for the book? So the shame. Everyone has it in some form, don't they? You know. Oh my God, and I've got so much of it. I felt shame for everything. Because yeah. it has such power, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's just taking the power back by writing about it and saying, you don't, you don't control me. Should we sit down? Why don't Where we do find a tree? If we go here under that tree, maybe. Yeah, lovely. I've got <laughs> treats, Raffi, but I don't know. We could give her a treat. I probably give it oh, to you. You know what? I was going to try and remember the name for auntie and uncle. I really love it in your. Oh, they're every. And every... like, who do you, when you're on, who do you think you are? Yeah. And things. And Sit down, you go and see your uncles and is it Mama G? Mama G's mum's brother. Oh, I love him. Yeah, so every. It's, it's a really good indication of how important uh, family relationships are because every single person has a specific name depending on how they're related to you. Mum's brother is Mama G. Dad's brother, if he's older, is Thayaji. If he's younger, is Chacha. So people will know. If I say, oh, that's my Chacha, you'll know he's Dad's youngest brother. Oh, I like Chacha. <laughs> Chacha. <laughs> Chacha. I like a Chacha. And his wife is a Chachi. I'm sorry I forgot to have children because <laughs> Chacha would have been a great name. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. So, um, oh. I love that I forgot to have children. <laughs> that's me. I just forgot. I'm going to use that. Um, so <laughs> when you got to... You got to university, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I jammed it. Jammy, jammy. Didn't get the grades. Wanted to get onto this course at Leeds, but got in on interview, which I told my husband that recently. He was like, that doesn't happen. He was like, that's so jammy. 
Um, but, but that yeah. tells you a lot about your sort of skills, really, doesn't it? And, do you know what I mean? In terms of, yeah, I could talk a good game. What I've realised looking back, it's like, yes, I could, I could charm and chat. But also, I watched a lot of TV and <laughs> a lot. I listened to a ton of radio. They were my access points to culture. Um, and you were doing a, it was a media degree that you were doing. I did at broadcasting Leeds, yeah. at Leeds. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely loved going to uni. It was the best time. And it was a great course, but they did a placement year. That's why it was so tough to get onto. So I did six months working at a programme called The Ozone. Do you remember that? Of course I, you do. I remember. Jamie Thiexon and Zoe Ball. Yes. Yeah. And then Jay Middlemas did it. And then, yeah, yeah, loved it. Did you learn a lot there? Amazing. Yeah, I learned that TV is a place where no one ever has to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I want to work. No one's in a suit. <laughs> Everyone goes out every night. This is brilliant. Um, yeah, no, I, I really thrived in that environment. Mm. Just, just, had, just full of energy, full mm. of excitement. And I can see it now when I'm working with young runners and there's the ones that turn up and they're just like, right, yes, let's do this. What? And I'm like, okay, you're going to do all right here. Um, and it was so exciting being in London. Uh, and I just... I don't know, I just felt like this is it. This is, this is the start of me living the life that I want to live. I think it kind of all just fell into place. I'd been doing my radio show, doing broadcasting, loved music, got this placement and thought this is, this is where I'll be. But I didn't think I'd be a presenter because that was just... It's like, who becomes... How do you become a presenter? How does that even happen? Yeah. So I thought, you know, I'm going to make documentaries, I'm going to make television. And then someone said, we should put you in front of the camera. And that was it. And I, I wasn't afraid of being in front of the camera. I mean, obviously, you know that you're being watched and you know that you're on, you're on, you know, and you're performing. But at the same time, it's really, in, like, you know, you interview people, you talk to people. And it's much easier when you're asking people questions about them because it's not about you. And I quite like that. But I don't know. Maybe it is because I'm just a bit of a show off as well. I guess... When I don't, it's very, I don't know how to explain it. I started working in telly, got my first presenting jobs on Channel 5, and then thought, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. You know, until, until I always said, I'll do it until I can't, until it doesn't pay me, and then I have to think of something else to do. Um, and I always just thought, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back to Bradford. You know, I don't, I Did just, it was, yeah, yeah, well, I just didn't worry about what would happen if it doesn't work out. And I think that sometimes can hold people back when you're like, well, you know, if it doesn't, I just had this single-minded single attitude where I'm just going to make this work. Um, I mean, it's, it's taken 20 years, and it's been, I've been very blessed. I've, like, worked constantly and all the rest of it, but it's just been, you know, sometimes it just feels like a struggle. Sometimes. Does it? Yeah. No, I mean, this year's been amazing, but, yeah, yeah, I got to a point where I was like, how... But then it's TV. TV presenting is never going to be an easy career, is it? it you know... When you did Strictly, <laughs> that was, that presumably sort of created um, a much wider level of recognition for you, just sort of from people in, in the street. How, how did you find that? How did you, how do you find fame? I don't know. I don't think of myself, I don't, you know, when people say that, it's like, well, I'm not famous like I'm just a person on the telly that sometimes people recognize yeah. I'm not I think you know there's levels yeah. and I actually I'm I just live my like this is my little life around here <laughs> and I go and do my job and come back and you know every so often if I get invited go to a nice party which is always lovely but that's it you know I'm not Bob the you know it's not I know, but on Strictly Come Dancing, I mean, there was some... Mo I couldn't believe it. Well, when you kept from day one, you were out the gate. It was like, what's going on here? I was lucky in that that was a game, a game shifter because middle, like middle England were like... And especially women. Women yeah. were like, oh, my God, we are backing you. Yeah. And that was amazing. And I'd get women coming up to me in the street going, yes go Anita you're representing us you know you're working hard you're getting on with it uh, that was nice that is nice you know at least not shouting wanker across the street <laughs> at me it's an amazing programme and it is a, so many layers and levels to it but yeah I, I don't think people like women who are too cocky like you were saying earlier too confident <laughs> yeah 
But then I wasn't because I'd never danced before. So it was all genuine. I was there like, I'm here to learn. Like, let's just do this. That's the thing I find interesting about you is that you talk a lot about um, worrying about what people will think. You acknowledge that's a thing, whereas that's something I really genuinely think with you, that you seem so self-assured and driven. Is, Is that sort of, I suppose, a kind of, how you have to be really yeah I think it's you're right it's two twofold isn't it I think you can be I am very I guess I am there's a certain part of me that is very focused on my own game as well like people say to me oh you know um who are you who do you want to be like or who who's your competition I'm like nobody because I'm just so focused on doing what I have to do and um am I self-assured and driven I probably am I, pro- I am. I don't like self-motivation. That's like a superpower, definitely. When my when I'm getting up and going for a run in the morning, and my <laughs> husband's like, "Oh," I'm like, "Come on!" Have you seen that episode of Friends where Monica, like, they're trying to talk her down? She's training Chandler. She's like, "Come on!" She's like banging on the door first thing in the morning, and they're like, "Make her cry, talk her down," because like she's too energetic. And getting woman's out mm. must have been. You must have been so thrilled about that. And I know, because I've been lucky enough to be interviewed by you on it, and you, you just have such a, a knack for interviewing people, really engaging, and um, it feels like potentially, not that show, but just the whole concept of Radio 4, it, it was potentially slightly forbidding in some ways. Massively. Well, by the way, I loved having you on. Like, I was, from the minute I got there, I was like, I want to do something about dogs. I want to do something about dogs. We've got to do something about dogs. And I was like, got it. We're doing the dog story. Do you know how much response we got as well? <laughs> Huge. 3.2 million people have bought dogs in lockdown, you know. Um, I was nervous as hell. Terrified. Were you? Petrified. Absolutely petrified. Like, I do cover a lot of Radio 2. Love it. Go in mm. there. Sit down. Have a great time. Thursday night would come around and I was like hyperventilating, reading my notes. My husband was like, you're going to have to get on top of this because you can't have every single week get to Thursday afternoon and just, you know, this amount of pressure. Like, it's Woman's Hour. It's like the radio show, isn't it? And then something switched where I just thought, they've employed me to be me, so I should just do that. And actually, if that's not what they want, then that's okay. But I can't pretend to be something. I can't go in there and all of a sudden think, I need to be all Radio 4, whatever that means. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, it feels like an important space to be in, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I love radio. I'm still learning, you know. There's still, it's still such early days. By the way, oh my Lord, Ray. I could just so therapeutic, just stroking Ray. Isn't it lovely, Anita? Yes. Can you tell me about meeting Buffy, please? Yeah, so we um, we met at a we met at a, a warehouse party, <laughs> which I said once, and uh, the Express put this um, pit, uh, put the headline up: "Shocking way Anita Rani met husband." <laughs> That's so shocking. Depraved Raymond. I, I was. I love going. I love club culture. Was really part of my coming of age. Like going to uni yeah. in the late nineties, I went clubbing a lot. Then, like, like, never met the Indian. My mum was like, oh, I, all her white friends, when is she going to meet this Indian son-in-law of mine? And then I was invited to a party when I was in London, and I walked into this warehouse, and it was the 80% of the people in the room were all the Asian misfits from all over Britain. It's like, ah, my people, here you are. <laughs> Tattoo-covered, pierced, like just, you know, the rejects and the misfits and the outsiders. And we all sort of bonded and like Buppy was part of that crew. And it was all very quick though. We sort of, he proposed after six months. Wow. I know. Toby thought, this is it. Get her. <laughs> Get her. I mean, I'm getting the impression as well that um, Mama Rani was very happy. She was over. What did, and what did she say when you told her? I phoned her and said, I've met someone. She's like, what's his name? I'm like, Bupinder. Bupinder! Indian! Oh! That was it. That's it. Like, that was the agenda. So mad. So mad. I have these conversations with her now. I'm like, oh, you, you just, just couldn't wait for me to get married. And now I think she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And you didn't want a big Indian wedding in no, Bradford, no, did you? not at all. That's you not did not want ever, that. Ever. I was never going to be that girl, Emily. I'm not that girl. I was going to elope. I was going to be in, like, Hackney Town Hall. 
this like I was going to just do something radical that no other Asian girl's done before like go and do my thing and, and? I had a big Indian wedding in Bradford 450 of my nearest and dearest I call it my Punjabi sweat fest three it, no it started a week before but three days of intense ritual and celebration <laughs> ceremony I went to India to do my shopping I did the lot I basically just reverted to type and it was yeah just and the aunties must have been in their element oh my mum oh, they, they said look at her so successful living in London and look made her parents so proud had a big Indian traditional wedding I fuck and <laughs> you managed to meet a Punjabi I know well that's a funny thing isn't it it's a funny funny thing but I suppose, you know, my, my Indianness is really important to me. Being mm. My culture is really... I'm very rooted in many ways. And I love speaking the language. I love eating the food. I'm, I love India. And to meet somebody who innately gets it, yeah. innately, is just yeah. really, Having said that, like, you know, obviously there's, obviously there's differences. But he just gets it. And, and that's nice. It makes it... In, there's something quite comforting about that. I like you talking about the wedding, and I mean, you went the full. The, I mean, no, Whoopi we, had the horse. Yeah, the horse. <laughs> Oi, Rafi, be nice. Anyway, she started to do this. I don't know why. How are you, Anita, with anger? Oh. <laughs> um, well, like my dog, apparently. Like, what is going on, Rafi? <laughs> Sit mean, down. I Sit down. I couldn't help but notice. <laughs> Rafi, she's not done that before. This is a post-period thing. I don't know what's going on. She's changed. Um, she's been very territorial. I, I was I mean, very angry. Yes, yes. I, I, there's a chapter where I talk about my anger being legitimate. And having and once I read that, once I wrote it, I've listened to other podcasts and stuff where women are like, we shouldn't be angry. And I'm like, oh, God, fuck. I just talked about <laughs> being angry. No, I mean, I need to get past the anger. Yeah, I'm, you know. How do you off- process your own anger? And I know you grew up in the kind of family where people were open about anger, yeah, anger. yeah. How, where do where do you put your anger? So for a long time, I didn't know where to put it, and now I've put it in the book. So that's a good start. <laughs> and uh, and I guess what I'm trying to do now is use it for purpose, yeah. right? Because I've, I yeah, I talk about being angry because yeah, there was a lot of anger in my home environment, um, but also. I was angry because of what I saw growing up, like just patriarchal bullshit all around me and women having to put up with stuff from men and not having a voice. And it's just, from a very young age, just really infuriated me. And so um, now what I recognise is actually there's ways of dealing with that and which is, you know, talking about it and Mm. exposing it and not, and saying that we want better. But yeah, and and also I guess I wanted to... own the anger because you know we're told particularly women of color that if you are angry then you have a problem right and i think women generally can understand that it's not just a women of color thing there is obviously that intersectional dimension that is really important to acknowledge but i think all women can understand that women to be quiet and just put up with things and if you're angry in the workplace or you're angry that some the man got the promotion or he got the pay rise then it's our problem which is just such nonsense. And we have so many reasons to be angry. We've got centuries and centuries of anger built up inside us. And I think... producer's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's time we just said, we're angry and that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes just, you know, it's good to just have a good old scream. Which yeah. is why, yeah. Well, I noticed having watched your Who Do You Think You Are, which was so brilliant because... It really opened my eyes, and I think it was actually really important. You know, often they're personal and unique to that person, but in your sense, I just think it was a really extraordinary episode. You know, I I found it incredibly moving your response, and I know you went on to make a, a documentary as well. And I get the sense doing who do you think you are really shifted something for you, didn't it? Hundred percent. 100% like shifted something in me personally because I learned something so profound about my own family so my grandfather my mum's my dad was in the Indian army um, and partition happened he was married 
had two children, but I didn't know any of this. And he was away with the army when the partition of India happened. That's the point where the British left and it, in the blood, the, the, the most horrific atrocity took place. Like 15 million people displaced, a million people died. And he lost his entire family. He lost his father, his wife and his two children. But I never knew he had a daughter, which really troubled me. I didn't know the name of his first wife because no one in my family had spoken about it. So I discovered all this when I made the Who Do You Think You Are? And it really affected me deeply. Just, and I, it was more than just the story of my grandfather and my family. It just became the story of women mm. and how there's just no voice or choice. Because I've found out that lots of women were either murdered by their own families, murdered by the, whoever their enemy was, Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, or they just took their own lives so that they wouldn't. And the, pe- and the families, the men in the families, deciding to kill, kill the women and children to prevent them from what they saw you know was a future of being raped presumably or defiled yeah and but not even giving them a chance you know it was and I and very much it's to do with shame as well isn't it no one would want those women after but there was one guy you were I burst into tears when I was watching you were talking to that guy and he'd watched his own father do Kill everybody, to kill all the kill women his, in the women in his family. Yeah, so he saw his his sisters, his aunts, his cousins all behead. It's so horrific to think about. But he said to you, it was, it was, I always remember, it really stuck with me that documentary. He said, "You're very strong to listen to this." Yeah, <laughs> that's like he witnessed Don't it. You lived through it. <laughs> yeah, you were there. And then they talk about the men talk about how the women were really brave and like they all came forward. And I feel that is a coping mechanism for them to have to remember the women being brave. I don't buy it. And I just, and that was only 70 years ago, you know, it's our grandparents' generation. We're not talking centuries ago. So I'm very aware that I, two generations before me, the choices for me were, would have been very different. The director did say to me, he said, we've set these things up and we have people, the story, you genuinely don't know what you're going into. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what's happening tomorrow. They just take you into the scenario and you do it 10 days consecutively. So you're in it. Um, so what you're, exp- you're living it as they're, we're living it. And he said, you set these things up, but you just don't know which direction the story is going to go in because it's very much dependent on the subject and mm. how, in, how invested you are in your own story. He says, not everybody cares that much. And sometimes they just go, okay, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Move on to the next day. But he said that scene flipped the switch from it being something where I'm learning about my history to something that was... It was incredible. So personal. And that's the same. You do a show as well called Saved by a Stranger. Oh, yeah. I really recommend people watch because it's, again, it seems to play to your strengths, which is very much... Um, connecting with people and, their, and getting to the heart of their story, really. I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, that was a really important programme, uh, Saved by a Stranger, where it's like peop- telling a big piece of history and where two people met and, you know, and had an encounter and then trying to find that person for them. Mm. But it meant, you know, like spending time with the people opening up to me about their story and it wasn't just me like the whole production team everyone behind the camera was just as invested like you have to be when yeah. you're talking about people's real lives but also I just feel like I get to know people so well like this, the final story on the final episode I tell the story of these two amazing twins who left um, Nazi Germany at the age of six now they're 87 both of them Peter and George the most incredible men you've ever met like just sprightly and alive alive but I felt like I was part of their family. I was like, I actually, like, I just turn up and like, oh, I'd love a cup of tea, you know. I just felt like I'd known them forever. That's like, that's magic, isn't it? Like, I mean, ultimately, we're all. It's this. I know it sounds really hippie to say it, but like, we're just all the same, you know. We're just that's it. There's this idea that like, I don't know, you know. It's, I don't want to say anything too political, but you know, like. Brexit Britain and you know and the other and people coming to our island it's like no we're just all the same and actually people have been coming to this island for a long time yeah. oh god that went that took it off on a tangent <laughs> <laughs> that'll come back to haunt me <laughs> um, can you tell me what 
Buffy would say about you. If I said, what thing? I mean, just a, it's I your choice no in eating. Idea. You can tell me or I can call him. <laughs> would he say, if I said to him, Buffy, is there anything that, that annoys you about her? What yeah. would Buffy say? He would say that I'm probably too focused on, she's so focused on what she has to do. It's like, he, that's what I think he would probably say, you know. It's like, oh, okay, Buffy. Uh, no, I don't know what he'd say. How are you, what are you like um, with conflict? Absolutely disaster. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Like, I can't, I hate it and I don't know why. I wish I was one of those women who were like, now, sit down, like, can we talk about this? I can't, I'm not that. I'm like, I don't want any conflict. I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm like, you know, I think I'm very masculine in that way, you know, if we're talking stereotypes when it comes to conflict. Come here, Rafi. Sit down, boo-boo. Good girl. Emily, no wonder you're doing this podcast is doing so well. You're an absolute dream to talk to. You're so genuine and invested. (laughs) But just like absolutely, you know, I've like word gets round, word gets round, and like you were great when you came on Woman's Hours. I felt like I'd known you for ages. You know, you just have that ability to just talk from the heart, which is very. Do you know what I'm a bit? But that's why I love your style because I really. Like, if I'm watching Who Do You Think You Are, um, I don't... It's the difference between feeling like you're taking me on your journey, which is what I feel when... And even if that's saved by a stranger, like, there's such skill involved in that kind of interviewing that, you know, you put your arms around the people, you're engaging with them. And I think, isn't it weird that we didn't think for years... I wonder if there's a... I wonder if women might do this in a good way. Yeah. (laughs) Like... And yeah, yeah, and you feel like when I, I just did like Let's I worked on. Should we move away? Yeah. Should we start walking? Let's kind of start walking towards back, yeah. the uh, coffee shop. Yes. Did Come you on. did you drive or did you? I did actually oh, well because done. I'm very eighties. No, I'm eighties too. And everyone here. What, do you love driving? I love driving. I love it because we're control freaks. Yes, we are, aren't we? <laughs> Thank you. I'm a complete control freak. Now I haven't taken Rafi off the lead, and I feel okay about that. I am going to do that soon though, but my husband's going to do it. Buppy we'll come together. Buppy. Buppy yeah. will she's do that. Buppy's dog. I mean, she's mine. Like, obviously, I love her. She's mine. But, like, they are best buddies. If, like, me and Buppy have a little cuddle or he comes and chats to me, she comes and barks at him. She barks. Well, you're talking about confrontation and you're not good at it. So, do you find, let's say you're in a work scenario, Anita, yeah. and someone says, oh. there's something difficult. You know those difficult conversations you have to have pretty much on a daily basis when you work in this kind of industry. How how do you deal with it? Do you just steal yourself and... Oh, I'm really... Oh, this is a complicated... I'm just (laughs) rubbish, right? So first of all, it's like I don't... I'm lucky that I don't have to be in an office situation. (laughs) I'm not... I don't have to get into office politics. I love that. My husband's like, you'd be shit. I'm like, I know. (laughs) It's like, I don't... I am... and uh, I don't. I don't speak my mind often enough. Do you not? I'm, change, I'm changing now. I'm getting a bit better at it. Also, it's great as a TV presenter. You don't have to do anything. You just phone your agent and say, "Can you deal with that? Can you deal with this? This has happened. I don't know what to do about it. Can you sort it out?" Like, okay, fine. And you just turn up and smile. But yeah, I'm terrible at conflict. I don't know. It's something I need to work on. Also, being able to just speak properly, openly, and just say what I really think. That's coming. It is happening. It is happening. But let's say we were trying to record something and there was noise going on. Oh, right, yes. And we needed him to move away. Would you say... I'd say... Would you mind? Yeah. I'd say it really nicely. I'd say, oh, you wouldn't mind awfully. (laughs) You would? I would, yeah. That's why I think you're more evolved than me, because I'd go... (sighs) (laughs) 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what I'm thinking. Do you do you uh, cry a lot? Not I used not and now I've started to yes. I cried out the other day. The last thing I cried out. Have you seen Mayor of Easttown? Yeah. See Kate oh, Winslet. Yeah. I mean, can we please discuss talk about proper women depiction on I, TV? I almost cried at how happy it made me watching her. Just also, there was something about her not having to be a sort of. Um, attractive as a person yeah. all the time you know that yeah. she was flawed and she was a mess yeah and her life was a mess and horrible tragedies had happened to her and she had this complicated relationship with her mum and and she's angry 
and she doesn't have to deal with her emotions. That's what I liked, you know. I liked that she was grumpy and wasn't just, but was full of heart. Why do you think you cry more? I have no idea. Because it's interesting, I've got a theory about this. Yeah, go on. I think we so associate it with weakness. And sometimes I think it's just not being able to express anger crying, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a much better way of dealing with it rather than lashing out. Just having that. And I think you're right, it's weakness. People, we associate it with weakness, which is why, actually I say it in the book, you know, boys don't cry, but in my family the girls don't cry either. Do they not? No, I've just seen women just suck it up and get on with it because as soon as you cry, you've made it... And this is genuinely what I feel like. The women, I've, I've just never seen my mum cry, never seen my aunt, aunties cry. And it's like, cause they, they just had to get on with it. And as soon as you cry, you're kind of breaking down the walls and you've let something go. And they've just never been allowed to let themselves go in that sense. However, when they sit down to watch a Bollywood movie, they will sob their eyes out. So I think that is their <laughs> catharsis. And I'm the same. I, I flipping cried at Lady and the Tramp the other day great movie um so the women in your family you've absorbed that sort of enduring spirit and tenacity and come on let's get on with it yeah but but hopefully your generation is going to be able to also speak up more and, and, not, and not have to put up with what yeah, the... Yeah, not um, internalise emotions, maybe. Absolutely. And what, when I talk about my Indian culture and, like, the South Asian culture that's been imposed on me, it's not too far removed from all women. You know, to some extent, we're all still fighting a battle, right? I mean, right. I mean, I, sound, <laughs> I am a feminist, though. <laughs> um, and there's still a long way to go. And But... With my Punjabi culture, I sort of feel sometimes we're still kind of, it's within one generation, we've gone from Victorians to the 21st century, mm. you know? So what was expected of my mum? It's like the, the leap, the, the cultural contrast between my life and my mum's is huge. Yeah. Um, so they've had to do a lot of adapting. And, my, you know, my mum is like the one who said to me, she said, I'm so proud that you've written this book because you're saying things that I could never say. And I'm so glad that you're saying it. She said, you're saying it because you've got a platform and you should say it. And she said, tell them, tell them where I went wrong. Because she said, I didn't know any better. Bless her. I think your parents seem to have done a pretty good job with you guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they have, through it all. You're quite well adjusted and relaxed, aren't you? I like you, so. I would never say you're not remote. You don't look, seem remotely neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> should we call my husband <laughs> I'm not I'm not I do put a lot of pressure on myself though that could I could ditch with I could do with ditching some of that so you're going to go back with Rafi now yeah and she's going to have some lovely lunch and um, then you do you walk her every day Anita yeah, yeah absolutely if I if I'm around if I'm filming then it's Buffy oh she'll go to the office with Buffy and have a walk has she, she really changed your life this dog is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I just didn't know I could love something so much. I go away filming, and I've, ne I've never missed Buffy as much as I miss the dog. Poor Buffy. Sometimes I leave my phone behind and take her for a walk. Oh, I do that. It's Isn't that amazing? I do that. And do you know... It's the most liberating thing. Do you find a lot of people that do this podcast... I say a lot of people, Lee Mack. <laughs> he, how funny is he? He's the funniest man. Oh, don't tell him that. He'll be a nightmare. No, go so, on. Tell him. What did she say about me? What did she say about me? <laughs> she said you were funny, Lee. Um, he has been on this podcast twice. Yeah. Because the first time he didn't have a dog and was embarrassingly inept. I mean, he went with a so dog. So he came on the Walk the Dog podcast without a dog? He's a friend, so he was doing it initially because he thought it'd be fun and yeah. he wanted to see what it was like. But his first two things he said, firstly he said, when the dog did a poo, he said, call the police. <laughs> but, and he, the other thing he said was, God, there's so much talking involved in dog walking. You talk to other people. We've got, we're very lucky around here. I'm very smug, because I live in this area. I do love it. I've got lots of very good friends. My goddaughters live on that street we've just walked down. Oh. And often we will, people will join us for a dog walk. 
and it's the loveliest thing that you just out and like you know east london that lovely green space there's so much green around here and connect to nature and she's so lovely and distracting and such a calming presence like she's a soul this is what my mum always says to bring it back to lucky she's like what a blessed soul to be in this household she's like because you know indians believe in reincarnation and that the energy from one living thing will go into another so my mum's like she must have done something amazing in her past life to be born as Rafi. come on oh we've got we're gonna oh. say goodbye to anita now i think you really like her don't you oh right she's such a nice you. lady and what about Rafi? Rafi was naughty. Rafi. Can you do your dog voice for me quickly? Uh, we'll get oh, away yeah. from the people listening because it's highly embarrassing. Oh, and it's sort of crazy it's something dog that has to be done in pro- I'll do mine, Anita, Come and then, then you can do yours, okay? All right, let's walk So we'll do our dog voices. We found a quiet area because it's, it's frankly humiliating. <laughs> okay. Wee wee. <laughs> good boy, wee wee, good boy. Good boy, wee wee. You're good boy. Oh, good boy, wee wee. Oh. <laughs> Why do we do it? Okay, here we go. Hello, Riffraff. Hello. Are you a good girl? Yes. My boo boo. You are my boo boo. Yes. Good girl, Riffraff. Ah. Oh, Raffy did good. Yes. Good girl. Good girl. Yeah. And you see, her name is Raffy, but I call her boo boo. I call her Riffraff. I call her Raffity. Yes. I mean everything, like that's the Punjabi in me. Give her a name, but don't call her it. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.